Well, it's an honor to be here this morning, and I have so much admiration for what David and Jessica are doing here through this church, and I am very excited about the topic that David gave me. You're in this series about building healthy relationships, and the next thing on the list was participating in the ministry. And sometimes, when I first heard it, some, I wasn't. Sometimes you hear that phrase, it, it doesn't sound as exciting as it actually is. Okay? Have you ever wished that you could make a huge, massive impact with your life? Have you ever wished that your life could be part of something that's bigger than yourself? I know I have. I, I want to be part of something, a movement. I want to be part of an unstoppable movement that changes the world. And the good news is that we get to. And that's called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's called the Church. Jesus founded a church, and it's it's been an unstoppable movement ever since. And we get the privilege of being a part of that movement. Um, when David asked me, it's I I'm I'm so excited about this because I believe that you that are members of this core at Compass Church are some of the most strategic people on the planet. I believe that that God wants to use this church to change the world. I sincerely believe, as I'm praying, as I'm thinking, as I was preparing this message, I just wanted to tell you that, is that you guys, what God wants to do here, can have ripple effects. Here's some reasons that I think you're so strategic. I think you're a brand new church, and brand new churches are some of the best ways to reach those far from God. And you're a brand new church, and so each one of you matters immensely. If you're a member... These chairs don't get set up unless someone sets them up. It, you need, and on a bigger church where there's lots of stuff going on, you can kind of get away with coming and going. But man, we need you. Compass needs every member to roll up your sleeves and get in the game. And you're also setting the DNA for years. We're praying that this church will last for years and years to come. You're setting the a DNA and the agenda for what this church is going to be in the future. You might feel small right now. You may feel like, oh, you know, we're all in this little room or whatever, but um, there's a verse that God gave me to, to kind of share with you. Zechariah 4.10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I believe, actually, you are in a historic season of what God wants to do in this church. I believe that God gets excited about small things, not because they're small, but because there's so much potential that God wants to use this church in. My wife, Christy, and I, 10 years ago, in the back there, you wave at Christy, uh, we started a ministry called Challenge um, at Chico State University in, 10 years ago, and it was just my wife and I, and I remember, looking back, I remember we had the lamest event in the history of college ministry, okay? It was like we had three students come, and we just sat around, and they bought their own pizza, and we had awkward conversation for about 30 minutes, and we all went home. And they never, we never saw them again. And, but that whole first year, I just remember struggling. I remember really struggling, thinking, oh, we're small, we're insignificant, we don't matter. And I was really concerned about counting every number, every person that was in the room. And I wish I could go back to myself and just shake myself on the shoulder. Say, Paul, wake up. It's not about 
your, your ego, you know? It's about these people's lives that I want to change. And I remember, and it's about spiritual multiplication. Because spiritual multiplication takes time. And so if we focus, if you as a church focus on two things, reaching those far from God and training up leaders that can reach more people far from God, you're going to make an impact with your life, with your church. Um, and so when we were starting, there was also these other ministries and churches in the area that were killing it. They were, they were big, they had awesome music, they had awesome cool speakers with tattoos and all this stuff. And, uh, and I just remember, it was like, I was bummed and uh, tempted to be a little jealous of them, but it was actually a blessing in disguise. Because it forced us to build our ministry on people that aren't going to church. They can take all the Christians that are looking for the cool show in town. We, as a church, we can reach those that no one else is reaching. And so for me, over the years, we've seen hundreds of people through our, mini- our little ministry that started with just my wife and I. This, this school year, we saw 175 students pray to receive Christ. And so, little did I know that that what God wanted to do in what I felt like was so small and so insignificant, it mattered so much more. So you guys are at an important part, at a key season in your church's ministry. Jesus told a parable about how his kingdom grows. Um, Let's see if we can get it on the screen. It's Matthew 13, 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Matthew 13, 31. Right now, you are a seed, just the seed of what God wants to do through your church. And... I'm not saying that God will lead you guys to be a mega church someday, but God does want to multiply his kingdom, multiply churches, multiply ministries, send people like Andy around the world. Um, And that's what God wants to do. I remember driving to campus in the early years, and we were doing an outreach event, and we were on the way there, and I remember just having all these doubts, like, oh man, this is not going to be strategic. This is a waste of my time. We're just doing, passing out flyers and doing surveys and just re- meeting random people. And I remember just struggling, struggling with those doubts, those fears, those anxieties. And I'm so grateful for the discipline of scripture memory at that time. Um, and the verse that popped in my mind was Acts 18.10. It says, For I'm with you. No one is going to attack or harm you, for I have many people in this city. And it was as if God said... To me, this was, uh, you can read the story in context in, in Acts 18, but it was as if God whispered to me, I have many people on this campus. I have people that I want to change, that I'm working in. And that's what I believe ministry is, is ministry is going and finding and loving and helping the people that God is already working in. There's people that he's already working in at San Diego State. There are thousands of students that God is already working in at San Diego State. There are millions, there are thousands of people around the world, millions of people around the world, that they just need someone to love them, pray for them, share the gospel with them, and they will surrender their lives to Christ. 
So I love it. And I love the campus. San Diego State has 33,778 students right there. 33,000 people that almost all of them don't go to church. Almost all of them don't have a relationship with God. I believe the college campus is one of the most strategic places in the world because it's one of the few places where you can get away with really bold, really um, initiative evangelism, and it's a recruitment culture. Just like the fraternities try to meet with you and see if you could join, you're cool enough to join their fraternity. Um, we can meet with people, we can introduce them, and they are cool enough to join the family of God. So I, I tweet a lot, um, and this is my most popular tweet. Uh, it has 239 retweets, so that's good for me. Um, but here's what it says. It says, three reasons churches should focus on college students. Number one, they are incredibly open. College is one of the biggest transitions in life. They have time and desire to be discipled and trained as leaders, and they can become a leadership pipeline for church planning and missions. So I believe that your focus on San Diego State is one of the most strategic things you guys can do. If you guys as a church can get more students in, then you guys can become a pipeline, not only to San Diego, but to the nations and to the world. And I believe the college campus is the bottleneck of the next generation of leaders. I believe there's all, almost all the leaders are going through this little area called the college campus where God designed that God predestined that the people are just going to go through it. So we as a church have an opportunity to reach those people. Anyone in here seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay, remember the bridge scene at the very end? How, it was a small piece of land, but it was so strategic because it was where the supplies come and go. And I believe that's what the college campus is in our generation. I believe that it has a, it's a small part of the population, but it's such a strategic part of the population. Charles Millick, Secretary General of the United Nations, said, the university is the clear-cut fulcrum with which to move the world. More potently than by any other means, change the university and you will change the world. So not only is the campus strategic, but you live in one of the most strategic cities in the world. I was looking, doing the research, and your Instagram posted this, that uh, 90% of San Diego is unchurched. And there's 2.3 million people in the San Diego area. Just get your mind around that. Next time you're at the beach, like La Jolla, we, me and David were surfing, and he's way better. He's got a lot more experience than me now. This is a bummer, but... Um, look at the beach. Look at the, the thousands of people. Nine out of ten people at that beach don't go to church. Don't know, don't have a real vibrant relationship with Christ. Y'all got a lot of work to do. <laughs> okay? And, and y'all need to, need to get after it. The next, the, the, my first point on your little fill in the blank is it's impossible to exaggerate the urgency of our mission. It's just impossible. There's nothing I, I could rant, I could rave, I could hoot, I could holler. And there's nothing I could do to tell you how important this mission is. Jesus, no one understood this more than Jesus. Jesus, he took the first mission trip, one of the first mission trips in John 4, and he was going to Samaria, and he was, it was a long day of walking and, and working and, and, walk, and talking to his disciples, and he stopped for a rest at the well, and he, got a, he sat down for a little break, and he sent his disciples 
over to In-N-Out to get him a double-double. And he was just chilling there on the, on the well. And, um, and a lady came up all by herself, and he engaged her in spiritual conversation. And I'm sure that he was tired, and that I actually imagine that he probably didn't feel like engaging in a spiritual conversation at the time. But I, what he did was he engaged her. He spoke to her. He broke a lot of barriers to even talk to her at the time. And this is like a side point, but I think when God calls us to serve him in his kingdom, often it's not, not convenient. A.W. Tozer said, How utterly terrible is the current idea that Christians can serve God at their own convenience. I think a lot of times we're going through our lives, our busy lives, our important lives, and there's people that God has placed in our lives that we need to turn around and we need to engage and slow down and even forego our own convenience for the point of serving. So Jesus, in John 4, he puts on a clinic for how to talk to someone about, about the gospel, how to, how to start a spiritual conversation. And I don't have time to go into all that, so, but go ahead and I challenge you, read that this week, and look at how did Jesus talk to this woman, and, and how did he um, share himself with her. And he did such a good job that she sprinted back to the, the town and village and said, this might be the Messiah. And she got a big crowd coming out. And so she was off getting those people. And the disciples pulled up right when, right when Jesus was talking to the woman. And they thought, what? She's talking to a, he's talking to a Samaritan and a woman? Scandalous. You know, it's like, it was, you know, it was in that culture, it was bad. So anyways, they had the in and out. We got, the line was long, but it moved fast. So we got, we got the in and out for you. And Jesus said this. Um, let's pick up in John 4.31. He says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you have a saying? It is still four months until the harvest. I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. John 4, 31-35. I love Jesus' statement when they're bringing the food to him. And he says, guys, I got food you know nothing about. I, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Jesus knew that there was something more urgent than the legitimate need of food. And that was to love people that are far from God. Jesus knew had a satisfaction that could only be found. There's no better satisfaction than being used by God to see lives change. We have outdoor baptisms at our church, and I praise God for that because I can put my sunglasses on. And during the baptisms, the entire time, I don't know what happens. It's a weird thing. I start leaking from the eyes. It's just really bizarre. Um, it's just such a joy. That we call Baptism Sunday our payday, okay? From all the work that us as a church and us as a church family, we're working hard day in, day out, and then payday is Baptism Sunday, where we get to see we get to see students that we've led to Christ lead others to Christ, and they're in the pool with them, seeing these two giant football players splash almost all the water out of their out of the baptism pool. There's no greater joy than that. So I picture Jesus saying this to his disciples when they're walking up 
he is he's saying this to them. He's like, how can you talk to the, all these hundreds of people are coming up from the village? He's saying to his disciples, how can you talk about food at a time like this? Like, you guys, look at these people that God's working in. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I believe that's what God's saying to some of us. Is open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We get the privilege. It's not about guilt or, oh, you need to be a better Christian, so serve God. Man, we get the privilege of being used by God in his harvest field. And there are people right now that are open to the gospel. Jesus, in another passage, Matthew 9, 36-38, he says, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is something I want to challenge you to do. Ask God to give you his heart for your community. Ask God to give you his heart. When Jesus sees, when Jesus, if Jesus was in San Diego and he was in stuck and he was stuck in traffic, he wouldn't get upset, he might. <laughs> he might pray, you know, he might, he might be tempted to be upset, but he would see the thousands. Next time you're stuck in traffic, start praying for those, the, the masses. The, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In the Greek, um, I'm not going to say that word because I butcher it, but it literally means, and compassion means to be moved to one's spouse. So when Jesus saw the crowds that were heading away from God, that were like sheep without a shepherd, it, he was literally sick to his, his stomach. It made him sick, sick when he thought about those far from God. He got a pit in his stomach. And I pray that God would give us that, that God would give us a passion for the lost. Bob Pierce, founder of World Vision, said, Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And then a great prayer you can pray with Jonathan Edwards is, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. One mark of someone that's gripped by the gospel is that you have a compassion for those that don't know the gospel. If you love Jesus, then you, you have to love the people that he loves. And that's those that he died for and that he wants to bring into his family. Anyone read the book of Romans? I recommend it. It's pretty good. Um, it's probably the best ex- example of the gospel. It's the best explanation of the gospel out there. Um, and in, verse, in chapter 1 through 8, he goes off, and it's like this in-depth Treatsy. I don't know if I said that right. But he gives an in-depth explanation of the gospel. And in chapter 8, he is just at the height of celebration. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Can, can, can anything, you know, he has this long list of things. And it's at the height of celebration about the gospel and what Jesus has done. And then it, it's, it's high and it takes a dip. A, a quick dip in Romans 9. And it goes straight into a lament. And this is where it picks up. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul is 
rejoicing in what Jesus has done for him and what, for his people and celebrating. And then he quickly realizes these people don't know. These people don't have the gospel. And he says, I have unceasing sorrow and anguish. And he even made up an impossible scenario where he could give up his salvation for those other people. And they can't do that. But this is something that came to my mind as I was thinking about this, is those who have the greatest grasp on the gospel have the greatest compassion for those without the gospel. Those who really understand what Christ has done and really love Christ. It's just a matter of time before you start caring about the people that Christ cares about. You sync your life up with Christ, you're going to care about what he cares about. And that's the people that he died for. So it's impossible to exaggerate the urgency of our mission. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So it's just so urgent. And when you look back at that Matthew 9 passage, Here's, here's something that came up to me that, that's just hit me and it's changed the way I view ministry. It says, the problem is not with the harvest. Okay, the harvest is plentiful. There's people out there that, that God's working in. The problem is a lack of laborers. The problem is a lack of laborers. And to me, that's tragic when you think about it. That we as a church get to be, get to labor in the harvest and we can pray for laborers, and God wants to use this church to raise up laborers. So, I have two kids, Owen and Evelyn. There they are. Evelyn's four, and Owen is eight. And I've been, both of them, I believe, have committed their lives to Christ. And I'm teaching them about what Daddy does, is help people come to know Jesus. And uh, one day, Owen, we were hanging out, and Owen said, Dada, if you had one wish, what would it be? I think maybe we just saw Aladdin. Um, what would it be? And he, I, said, and he, I, I said, I don't know. What, what, what would you wish for? He said, if I had one wish, I would wish for unlimited wishes. Maybe he didn't really pay attention to a lot. But, um, then the next one, and then he said, the next wish would be that everyone in the whole world would come to know Jesus. And then Evelyn piped in and he said, yeah, I would wish for that. And after that, I would wish that everyone would have lots of candy. So Jesus and candy, why not? So, my kids get that this is the top priority. That spreading God's love, spreading the good news about what Christ has done, is the top priority for all of our lives. It should be at the front and center. It's, uh, you have one job, okay? is to, to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. So, how do we do that? It's good that we, we're not on our own to accomplish this. Is the next thing is, ministry is a team sport. Every member matters. Ministry is a team sport, and every member matters. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 God has given you a spiritual gift. And the thing about spiritual gifts is God doesn't waste the gift. God didn't give it to you not to be used. If he's gifted you with a, a spiritual gift, and he has, he expects you to use it. 
And if you don't use that gift, it'll be lost forever. And your church will suffer. It is actually a lie, straight from the pit of hell, that your gifts are not used. You need, you are needed in this family and in this church. Imagine the best NFL football team, and you took out two linemen from the best NFL football team, and you put them against the worst defense in, in, in the NFL. Who would win? The worst defense would destroy the best. doesn't matter if Tom Brady's the quarterback, whether you like him or not. Um, man, you would get destroyed. Football teams understand this. But a lot of times, churches don't. A lot of times, churches depend on the quarterback, a.k.a. the pastor, and think that he, it's his job to make everything happen. But really, a church that's really effective for the kingdom, everyone's playing their role. And everyone's all in. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes on and he explains more about how needed every part is. It's a longer passage, but I'm going to read it. It's out, Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. You may never get up here and preach a sermon, but your ministry matters. You may never lead worship. You may never even lead a small group or a Bible study, but every ministry matters. So that's why I titled this message, Your Ministry Matters. When you got saved, you got a job to do. You got the jersey put on you, and you're on the field, whether you want to work or play or not. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is one of my favorite passages. Um, but verse 10 completes it. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the way you get saved is not by working. Okay? The way you... but. It's by grace. You you were not saved by works, but when you were saved, you were put to work. You were given a job. You were not saved by works, but you were saved to work. So for example, every chair that's set up in this space has infinite importance. Because that could be a person that hears the gospel for the first time and comes to Christ. Everything matters. Child care matters. Name tags matter. Snacks matter. Everything, one of the goals of this church is to make it so anyone could come in 
and clearly hear the gospel. So this, most people decide whether they're going to come back to a church within the first ten minutes. And so the way you greet them, the way you love them, if they get some good coffee in their, in their system, they're going to be more happy, they're going to be more likely to come, they're going to be more likely to hear the gospel. And nothing's unimportant. If this chair is not set straight, okay? The reason I'm OCD about those things is, as a ministry leader is because souls matter. When souls are on the line, nothing is too small and nothing is too big for God to ask us to do. So we need to be able to do that. So the next thing I'd encourage you to do is discover and leverage your gifts for the kingdom. Discover and leverage your gifts for the kingdom. There's two places to serve. One is where you're needed most. Okay, we need someone to set up chairs. Don't say, well, I don't know if I'm, that's my spiritual gift. Dude, just set up the chairs, okay? The other place is where you're most gifted. Where you're needed most and where you're most gifted. And what I've discovered, the way you discover your spiritual gifts is by serving. By getting involved. I discovered that I had the gift of evangelism as I shared the gospel. And people came to Christ. I was like, oh, maybe I should do that more often. You know? And so you discover, that's how you discover your gifts. Not even necessarily through taking a spiritual gifts test. It's more through serving. The process, just do, get busy serving, and God will trust God to guide you into your gifts. Romans 12, 6-8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If you have a spiritual gift, man, discover that and then turn it all the way up. Turn it to 100 and just go hard into your spiritual gift. Don't feel guilty that you don't have the spiritual gifts of others. Don't give in to the drive-by guiltings that other people have um, when about their spiritual gifts. Just do your spiritual gift to the max. But here's some advice to you. It's in the same chapter in context that Paul gives if you don't know your spiritual gifts. Romans 12:11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Until you figure out what your gift is, just roll up your sleeves and get busy doing something. And, and God will show you, he'll direct you into what you should be doing. A Christian should never be bored. A bored Christian is a disobedient Christian. Because honestly, we have the greatest cause on earth, and we have the greatest means of accomplishing that cause, which is the church. So there's always something to do to serve the church. I love this quote by John Wesley. It says, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I love that. That's my motto. My motto. I want to be industrious for the kingdom. I just want to be useful. I just want to be helpful. And there's a lady I know called Gigi. This is her picture. She's about 90 years old. She lives with my wife, Christy, and I. And she is what I would call industrious for the kingdom. She is my kid's great-grandma. Okay. And But every Saturday night, she stuffs about 300 handouts, the cards into the handouts. And she helps Christy and I with the kids. And she cleans up the kitchen after church on Sunday. 
And she is leaving. She's retired from her job, but she is not retired from serving the Lord. She is going to serve the Lord till the day she dies. And she's going to live longer than some people. <laughs> she's, she's so She's got it. She's got the energy. I love this. Philippians 1, 21 and 22. It says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is going. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I love this. The Apostle Paul is saying, man, if I'm going to go on living, I'm going to go on laboring. If I'm going to stay alive, I just want to keep busy for what God's called me to do. My last point is, God wants to do so much more than grow this church. And no sacrifice is too small or too great. Yes, we want to reach San Diego. Yes, we want to reach San Diego State. But I discovered, as I was praying and considering what God was doing in Chico, we could see revival at Chico State and hundreds of people coming to Christ and a mega ministry. But if we don't reach the nations, it's not going to make the impact that it could. Isaiah 49.6 It's too small a thing for you to be my servants, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. I've just been really convicted that we need to not only do things that help this church, or things that help my ministry as a ministry leader, but we need to send people out to the less reached and the least reached, so that this whole world can know about Christ. And so, uh, I want to close with an encouraging passage that's always really encouraged me. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can bet, bet your life on it. I want to I wanna be the kind of person that risks enough for the kingdom, that, that I kind of lay out my life and risk and take some risks for the kingdom, that this is gonna, really going to matter. And I've never been let down. By, I've, never, I've never invested too much. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never like, given so much that I'm like, oh, I wish I spent less time doing this. Because the fruit far outweighs the sacrifice. And the reward is far greater. So, let me join you in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your grace that each of us can know you personally. That we don't have to do anything to earn your favor. That you died on the cross in our place for our sins. And that we could be made right with you just by accepting that. Accepting your, your, your forgiveness. And I pray that we wouldn't just leave that... We would just enjoy that, but we would spread that. That you would use each of our lives and this church to share the good news with thousands of people in this community, but also that we would be a light to the ends of the earth. That it would not, we would not just be something that you're using here, but you would multiply it to those that, those that have never heard the gospel would hear it for the first time because of this church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.